Take your Bibles and join me in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we'll begin reading verses 14 through 18. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. We have already seen in this chapter the need to be unified with one another, the need to serve one another, and to do so with humility. We were given the example of Christ, of what that looks like. He humbled Himself. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He made Himself of no reputation. And last week, having Christ's obedience as our example, we are called to a life of obedience ourselves. The Christian life and obedience go hand in hand. You cannot separate them. Amen. The Apostle Paul expected obedience with the Christian life. Why? Because that's what God expects. Now, we do this, we saw last week, by working out our salvation with fear and trembling. As we work out our salvation, we're not working for our salvation. We're not working up our salvation. We're working out our salvation for others to see. And as we work out our salvation, remember God is doing a work in us. As we work out, God works in. And He's going to do both of His will and of His good pleasure. Remember over in chapter 1, in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, Paul wrote, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And what a blessing to know that God never gives up on us. Boy, that's encouraging. I don't know about you, but I haven't arrived and I still battle things and I still fail my Savior and uh, I'm ashamed of that. It's not a badge of honor by any means. But I'm always encouraged that God is there. I just need to get my heart right, amen, to get back in fellowship with my God. Listen, He's always working on us to conform us into the image of Christ. And then, as we yield to that process, He's working in us and working through us. And that's the exciting part, amen, when God begins to use our life for His will. Now in verse 14 tonight, as we live this Christian life, we see there are at least two things we should never do. Murmur and dispute. Oh, man. Anybody in here a professional arguer? Amen. I know some people that that's their... Amen. (laughs) I'm seeing some finger pointing out there. Amen. Uh, Anybody on the debate team in high school and all that stuff? Amen. Listen, anyway, I'm not going to... (laughs) Yeah. My filter's working and I'm I'm happy for that. Listen, Listen to what it says. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. 
all things. Now, obviously, that is speaking of all things that are within the Christian life. All things that are not sinful and wrong. All things that are not illegal, unethical, immoral. All things are to be done without murmuring and disputing. Or, we might say, without complaining or arguing. Or, we might say, without grumbling, without debate. All things. We have seen the call to humility in this chapter, but once one has become a murmurer and a complainer, humility has ceased and pridefulness has begun. Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride cometh contention. Now the murmurer and the disputer don't like to hear that verse quoted at them, do they? They always have a justification for why it's okay that they're murmuring and disputing. And it's almost humorous because they try to justify it as if they claim some higher level of godliness. Well, if you just understood. Have you noticed how pride is so blinding to the one who is prideful? They never seem to realize that their pride is the reason for their murmuring and their disputing. Mark 9, 33 and 34, it says, And he, speaking of Jesus, came to Capernaum. And being in the house, he asked them, What was it, he's speaking to his disciples, What was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace, for by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. Pride. Who's going to be the greatest among us? Pride had begun to swell up among them. Failing to see that without Christ, they are nothing and could do nothing. How sad when we begin to think that we are something. It's the Wednesday night faithful, amen? We're in danger of such things. We have the books of Exodus through Deuteronomy to highlight the problem with murmuring and disputing. And at times it seems like the children of Israel did nothing but complain about one issue after the other. It seemed nonstop at times, especially early on there. Numbers 11.1 And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and His anger was kindled. Do all things without murmurings and disputing. It displeases God. 1 Corinthians 10, 10-11 Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured, referring back to the wilderness, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. So we are to learn from what took place back there. It's written for our learning. And we ought to learn not to murmur and not to dispute. Why? Because it causes division within the body of Christ. It causes division within a local church body. As a church, our greatest enemy is not Satan. Now, what are you talking about? That's the craziest thing I ever heard of. Well, last I checked, Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And don't we read over there that greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world? 
The problem is we allow Satan to be an influence. He's defeated, but we allow him in. And we allow disputings and murmurings to take place. Division begins. There's a schism in the body. The next thing you know, you've got splits on the horizon and everything else. Somebody said, if you'll take care of the splinters, you won't have the split. Our greatest enemy is self. You're your greatest enemy tonight, child of God. Self. You make the decision. You decide what it is you're going to do. You decide how close you're going to be. Don't allow Satan to become effective by choosing not to walk in the Spirit and choosing to walk in the flesh. This is why all these churches are closing in America. We hear the stats all the time. X amount of churches are closing and all these things. And I don't know how they know those things, but we hear those stats. You know, the government hasn't forcefully closed any church yet. Amen. But churches have become weak internally by beginning to murmur and beginning disputes among each other. This is why churches will eventually close their doors. This is why there are splits. I could take you to places in Georgia where I grew up, and I can show you that on the same four-way stop are two churches of the exact same like faith. Baptist churches. Same statement of faith. Right across the street from each other. Why is that? Because they couldn't get along with one another. Isn't that sad? It's everywhere. And listen, there's numerous places. Those of you who ever uh, grew up in the South, you know, there's numerous places you can go, and within a mile of each other, there's two churches that used to be one. And they exist simply because this one split. They got mad, and so they started their own little church. Amen. I used to always say all the Methodists in Georgia were nothing but angry Baptists. Half the pastors were Baptist pastors. That's a fact. Where, did you, where are you coming from? Well, we're coming from the Baptist church down there. I mean, all this splitting nonsense that was going on. Now, you'll find that as the people complained about Moses and Aaron over in Exodus chapter 16, they're complaining about their, their, their two leaders there, but Moses says, no, you're not complaining about it. Listen, you're complaining about God. Your murmuring's not against us, but it's against the Lord. In Jude uh, verse 16, in speaking of the ungodly, we read, these are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust. And so we see that with pride cometh contention, all of this infighting and these murmurings and these disputings, but another reason is because people walk after their own lust. We become murmurers and complainers when we don't get our way, we're like little children. Thankfully, we didn't have this problem here, but you can imagine. Well, I wanted, I wanted two services. Well, I wanted one service, and I wanted this, and I wanted that. I don't know that anybody was murmuring and complaining when I made the decision to go back to one. But you can see how easily stuff like that can creep in. I'm sure you can imagine that. We complain because we don't get our way. I don't like how you remodeled the back. Is it really that big a deal? People leave church over this kind of stuff. I don't like that you have chairs now. I don't either. I like pews. But I also like to be able to have a fellowship in the air conditioner. Somebody say amen right there. Whoop, whoop. We could go on and on with the silly examples, but these silly examples are real. 
people actually do these things. You, you understand, Israel complained about being freed. Man, we were enslaved in Egypt, and we'd much rather have that than to be out here in this wilderness where you've brought us to die. They complained about God's provision of manna. We've had enough of this loathsome bread. They complained about their leadership. The leaders even complained about Moses and his wife. Remember that account? They complained about the giants. and Listen, they complained about everything. There was all kinds of internal division. And as a result, that generation had to wander in the wilderness until they died off the scene. They missed out on God's blessings and God's rest by not being allowed to enter into the promised land, all because they were a bunch of murmurers and disputers. I hope you see the importance of this. And I'm simply saying when we choose to murmur and argue amongst each other, or even if it's privately in our home, within our little groups maybe, when we choose to do that, we are jeopardizing experiencing God's blessings as a church body. And I'm not just up here for fun. Amen. I actually want God's blessings upon this. But when we murmur and we complain, we dispute, we're going to jeopardize God's blessing. James 5.9 says, Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Remember when Mary anointed uh, Jesus with a pound of very expensive, precious ointment? And the disciples began to say among themselves, they started to murmur, what a waste. Man, we could have used that for so much better. That money could have been given to the poor. The Bible says they murmured against her. All because they didn't like how she gave of her substance. What a shame. I don't like how that money was used. I can't believe somebody would give that. Why are you complaining about God's blessing? Jesus said in Mark 14, 6, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. It's almost as, as if Jesus is saying this. You know what, everybody? Just mind your own business. Whoop. Just mind your own business. Or, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. I can tell you, some people just need to mind their own business and keep quiet. Amen, we're doing good so far. Now, I've been talking about our attitude towards other, but how's your attitude towards God? Are you murmuring and disputing against Him? You say, oh, that's silly. No, that's what people do. I know people that are still murmuring and disputing with God because He allowed the death of a loved one. And they're still angry at God. Mad at God. Maybe you complain about how life has turned out. Maybe you blame God for the things that you don't have or want. Maybe you're murmuring about God's commands. Hey, are you holding a grudge against God tonight? Don't ever forget that God's commands are not grievous. And always remember that the Lord's yoke is easy and His burden is light. The way of the transgressor is hard. So as you work out your salvation, perhaps you're grumbling about God's boundaries. 
And you keep thinking how much you would like to have your own way. I can't believe God would put a boundary around this mountain and tell us we can't even touch it. But he did. You know, Pastor Kuhn was over at my house once. And at the time, we had a big aquarium in the house. That was B.C., before children. And I had this gigantic fish in there. It doesn't matter what it was now. But this fish always kind of followed you around and looked at you. And he walks up to the aquarium, Pastor Kuhn does, and he goes, you know, that fish, it looks like it's just wanting to get out of there. But what it doesn't understand is, is that glass is the very thing, that boundary, is the very thing that's keeping that fish alive. It's for his own good. And I've never forgotten that. And we complain about the boundaries of God as if it's something too heavy for us to bear, that he would dare command his children. And yet, that's the barrier that God has put in place to help us, to guide us, to keep us safe, to keep us from falling. And and listen, people get like Asaph over in Psalm 73. And people begin to envy the wicked. And they look at the wicked of this world and they see that they're prospering and that they're rich. And man, they're doing it all without the Lord's chastening. Psalm 73, 12 through 14, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Listen to what he says. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. And you see the wicked living prosperly down here in this world below and they're increased with riches. And you think, why am I trying to live godly? Look at what they get. Look at what they're doing. And they're not being rebuked for it. I mean, here I am trying to live right. I'm struggling to make it in this life. And I have to deal with the Lord's chastening. What am I doing? Well, you're murmuring and disputing against God's ways. That's what you're doing. And you need to do like Asaph eventually did. You need to look long term. Psalm 73, later on, verses 17 through 19. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. And Asaph goes on to say this, I was pricked in the reins. I was pricked in my reins. Meaning he was pricked in his heart. That he would even think that way. He said, so foolish was I and ignorant. He recognized his folly in murmuring and disputing against God. And he admits, he admits this, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. And the final verse over there in Psalm 73, verse 28, it says this, But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. What happened? What happened? Asaph put away the murmuring and the disputing against the Lord. He got his eyes off other people and got his eyes on God. Then he was able to work out his own salvation. So we need to be a people that are without murmurings 
and without disputing. Not saying you can't bring up a question. I can't say that you can't question anything. But listen, we can do so without murmuring and disputing. Amen. Because it not only affects our relationship with each other, but it will affect our relationship with our Lord. And we see in the beginning of verse 15 that we need to accomplish verse 14 in order that we may be blameless and harmless without rebuke. To be blameless means we are faultless or that none can speak against us. To be harmless means to be innocent. A literal meaning here would be unmixed, which if you chase all that down in the Greek, it's giving you the idea of don't be a hypocrite. And when we live blameless and harmless, we'll be without rebuke, because that is no one will be able to lay a charge against us. And we should strive to live this way because of who we are. I want you to get that. Why verse 14, the beginning of verse 15? Because of who we are. What does it say there in verse 15? That we are the sons of God. Or we would say we are the children of God. Now, this is in relationship to our redemption, not creation. And you have to say these things these days because there's people out there that will try to tell you that because God created all of us, we're all going to heaven. No, not all of us are children of God. Amen. Is this new to your ears? Amen. Not all of us. We're talking about here, you are children of God through redemption, not through creation. We understand biblically that not all are children of God. Hebrews 12.8 says, But if ye, are, if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Well, that's pretty clear. To become a child of God, one must be born again. That does not mean that you have recognized there is a God somewhere. It does not mean that you have become spiritual in some way by turning over a new leaf and now you're observing all these religious practices and ceremony. Now you're a Christian. But to become a child of God, one must receive Christ as their personal Savior, and then one will have the Spirit of God indwell them. And Romans 8, 9 tells us this, Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So do you have the Spirit of Christ or not? If you don't have the Spirit of Christ dwelling within you, the Bible's clear, you're not saved. Being children of God, here's, here's the point, it ought to affect our behavior. Isn't that right? You know, I, I hope that if you put on a Liberty Baptist Tabernacle t-shirt, it affects where you go. You know, when my two oldest children go to work, I always make sure I tell them, represent. Don't forget who you represent. You represent your old man. Amen. You're representing the Brooks name. You're representing your Lord and Savior, and you're, rec- you're representing this church. Don't forget that. And I always got to do it this way. Represent. When I was a child and I lived under my dad's authority, I represented him wherever I was at. This is why when I did something wrong to embarrass him, the whooping didn't hurt as much as the fact that I had disappointed him hurt. That's the same as it should be with our Heavenly Father. When we do mess up, when we do bring reproach upon the name of Christ, or when we do embarrass Him, the fact that we have disappointed God 
ought to be more of a chastisement than God's chastisement. It ought to impact our hearts. And we ought to say, man, something's wrong with me. But you see, and I want you to get this now, that idea is only going to go as far as your relationship goes with God. If you haven't got a deep relationship with God, you could care less if you embarrass Him. Isn't that right? That's how it is in our lives. Uh, if I don't have a close relationship with somebody, they can come and bless me out all they want. And I just say, take a number. <laughs> this is the joy of being pastor. But when somebody close does it, it hurts. It takes me weeks to get over it. It's the pain of it. You see, it just depends how close our relationship is. That makes the difference. So I don't care if somebody says, man, that was terrible. Okay. My wife, who tells me that about 90% of the sermons, that was terrible. That affects me. Amen. I'm close to her. Don't shake your head. What was that last message I said? Did you get that? You go, no, that was terrible. It was, yeah, it was just like last week. Amen. Um, I said, I'm up here preaching my guts out, and you hate it. Um, anyway. Those that we know well, we're going we're gonna to care more about. But So we should live righteously because of who we are. We are the children of God. And next in verse 15, we see where we are. We are in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, a nation. Crooked and perverse nation. Now, this would have literally referred to the Christians living in the Roman Empire at the time. And remember, Philippi was like a little Rome. So all the wickedness in Rome was found in Philippi. And even though this is a direct reference to the Roman Empire as their nation, the fact is, this has been true of every generation. Every generation of God's children have lived in a perverse and crooked nation. Amen. Why is this the case? It's because we are sinners by nature inherited from Adam. This is evidenced by how there's no schools to teach you how to be a dirty, rotten scoundrel. Amen. You just know how to do it. No one's had to teach you how to cop an attitude. Can you tell I have four teenagers in the house? Almost. No one's taught you how to talk back. No one's told you how to mumble under your breath. You didn't have to be taught how to lie. We are sinners by nature. Now the world's philosophy tries to tell us that really all human beings are inherently good. And that any negative traits a person may have is simply a result of their bad environment. Therefore, your problem isn't that you're, that you're a sinner. Your problem is mama didn't say she loved you enough. Daddy whooped you too much. Whatever. But Adam and Eve disprove that whole idea, doesn't it? They were sinless, placed in a perfect environment where there had never been sin, and yet they still went astray. Listen, what about Cain? Doesn't that prove some things? You know, Cain, he killed his brother when there was no street gangs. He had pretty good parents. There was no heavy metal influencing him. Come on now. And yet Cain, without the influence of drugs and alcohol, without the influence of bad society, raises up and kills his brother. Why? He's a sinner. 
What else was his bad influence? Self. And because human beings are naturally sinners, this is why we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation now. We live in a day where individual freedom is the ultimate goal. I can do whatever I want because it's all about me. And in time, the questions are asked, why do we have these structures in place? Why do we need these laws? Ultimately, the conclusion is drawn that we should just remove the God-given boundaries which He has given humanity from the beginning. And that's what we're witnessing. Let's remove God's institution of marriage, which is supposed to be between a man and a woman. Let's exchange that in favor of same-sex marriage. And Listen, it's going to get worse. The gutter of Leviticus, you wonder why it's in there. We're going to see it. We're going to see it. And listen, it's, it's LGBTQIA+. Why is it plus? There's more to come. Amen. And listen, I'm not knocking. I, I want to reach people with the gospel. Just understand what I'm saying. Why do we need these laws? Let's just go ahead and remove marriage. Let's remove God's plan for the family for whatever we feel is best. Let's remove the idea that we are created by a God who made us male and female in favor of expressing whatever gender we feel like we really are. Let's remove the idea that life is sacred by legislating abortion. And then have the audacity to try to convince me that the patriotic thing to do is to get a vaccine shot. You're telling me to protect the life of grandma and you can't even protect the life in the womb. Boy, I feel a preaching storm coming on. I'm trying not to go there. I hate the hypocrisy. Let's just get rid of it. Let's legalize abortion. And so in reality, truth becomes whatever one decides. Well, that may be true for you, but that's not true for me. And truth is being completely set aside in our day. And as a result, America has never been this crooked or perverse at any time in her history. And now verse 15 It has some very important implied truths. As children of God, listen, we are no longer of this world. This world is crooked and perverse, but we are to be straight and godly. God has called us to come out from among them and be separate. And it is this difference in living that allowed the Philippian believers to have an opportunity to speak to those in Philippi that their ultimate allegiance wasn't to Rome and it wasn't to Caesar, but that their ultimate allegiance is to Christ and His kingdom. Just like our allegiance is not to the White House, our allegiance is not to the President, our allegiance is not to the Supreme Court when they make their ungodly decisions, but our allegiance is to God. His kingdom, His church, His word. That's our first allegiance. We just celebrated our independence as a nation on Sunday. And here we had our annual God and Country rally. But above all, but above all earthly allegiances, we must acknowledge that we belong to God first. And you know my feelings about this country if you were here Sunday. I love this country. 
But regardless of where you go in this world, no matter their political position, no matter the national anthem that they play, you will find brothers and sisters in Christ who are all citizens of the same heavenly country. Isn't that amazing? Spiritually, we are now sent from heaven. Jesus said, even so as the Father sent me, so send I you. But physically, we are living in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. What this means is that as children of God, we are to be distinct from the world. So we see who we are. We are God's children. We see where we are. We're in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. And lastly, we see what we're to be doing. If you look at the end of verse 15, it says, Among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You see, the purpose of light is to manifest stuff. It's it's to give light to things, to see. And we're to manifest our heavenly Father to a perverse and crooked nation by shining forth our light through our good works that others might see Christ. Ephesians 5, 8 through 11, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the world. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And so as we tell people about their need for Christ, as we actually open our mouth and say something, because I don't want you to get that I'm talking about lifestyle evangelism, you have to open your mouth and say something. As we tell people about their need for Christ, then we are to shine as lights in the world, and we are to walk as children of light, and we are to demonstrate to a crooked and perverse nation what righteousness looks like. Where are they going to see that today? Didn't I talk about this on Father's Day? Patriarchal. Where are they going to see that? They're going to see it in the church. The world is not doing that anymore. So they have to look to us to see what it means to be changed by the power of God. And through that life that we live, it reproves their unfruitful works of darkness. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, quote, A Christian man should should so shine in his life that a person could not live with him a week without knowing the gospel. His conversation should be such that all who are about him should clearly perceive whose he is and whom he serves and should see the image of Jesus reflected in his daily actions, end quote. So can people see Christ in you tonight? Are you shining as a light in this world. I'll leave it there for tonight, but how are you doing in these two verses tonight? How are you doing? Is there anybody that's complaining and murmuring? Put it away. Put away the disputing. And and all of us, listen, we need to remember who we are, where we are, and what we're supposed to be doing. We are children of God in a crooked and perverse nation who are supposed to be shining as lights. So I hope that's you tonight. Let's close in prayer.